You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. If you tuned into the show for the past couple of episodes, we've been taking a look at the housing and commercial real estate markets and how they've responded and are continuing to respond to changes brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. For this episode, we turn our attention to changes in the GTA rental market with data from the recent release 2022 rental market report from the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, or CMHC. With me today is Donna Sanagama, Senior Specialist at CMHC, who co-authored the GTA findings in their 2022 rental market report. And I'm looking forward to hearing your insights on where the rental market sits right now, what we can expect down the line. So welcome, Donna. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. Well, let's jump right in. And I, I think that, you know, given that we're basically at the two-year anniversary of the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic and the related lockdowns and public health restrictions, it's interesting to see the, the continued economic impact of the pandemic on the rental market. And depending on how you look at it, tenants will view the increased vacancy rate that you reported as a positive, while landlords certainly will view it as a, as a negative potentially. So maybe off the top, talk about some of the ways that the, the pandemic has influenced the rental market in, in the GTA over the last couple of years. Yeah. So. You know, I think we all know that the rental Ontario had the the most stringent lockdowns throughout the pandemic uh, compared to other uh, regions across the country, and that's just the nature of the numbers. You know, in terms of the virus, we had the highest count, so unfortunately, we had to you know shut down. And what it did was impact the 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 the, the sector of the economy that were likely to rent. So, namely, the the food, the accommodation industry, you know, the entertainment industries, folks that work in these areas tend to be younger and typically the renter households. So, you know, the result of that was we had fewer, more job losses in that area. And a lot of these renters were unable to fulfill their rental obligations. We had a move out in terms of the rental um, uh, renters from these units and we had higher vacancy rates. On top of that, as you know, the largest driver of rental demand for Toronto and the GTA has been uh, immigration. And we had a hard stop uh, in, right. in terms of immigrant flows for the last, I think, the nine months. Things started to improve both in terms of the economic picture, also the immigration picture in, from the third quarter onwards in 2021. Um, but our survey is done in October. So you, we haven't really had time to kind of absorb that recovery into the the, the right. vacancy rate, right? So and so because of that, you know what it shows you is what happened in by October, and yeah, vacancy rates are at an all time high in Toronto and GTA. Yeah, I think it's interesting. It's certainly um, that that sort of dichotomy in the labor market has really been discussed a lot over the last couple of years because you know while we saw a pretty pretty quick movement from say the the bricks and mortar office to the home office to those sectors that support sort of average to above average earnings and that obviously influenced a, a pretty quick turnaround in the ownership market you know those sectors of the economy that are associated with average say even below average earnings where you know people may initially be pointed at some segments of the rental market 
you know, slower to, to recover. But I guess it's also a supply side issue as well, right? And I'm thinking about, you know, uh, circumstances like, you know, you had people that were operating, say, short-term rentals. And this is maybe more pointed at the condo market than obviously the purpose built. But you saw, you know, some of those investors, say, bring their bring their unit to bear into the traditional rental market or secondary rental market as well, because obviously tourism and that dried up. So, you know, from a from a, uh, an average rent perspective and, and what we saw in terms of a bit of a bit of downward pressure on rents, um, there was a real sort of supply impact, at least initially in the initial days of the, of the pandemic as well, wasn't there? Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, we know just anecdotally, um, just from talking to the, the short term industry rental folks and, and those involved in the industry, there was a certain uh, number of units that were taken out of the short term rental uh, pool and put into the long term rental pool. Sure. Uh, what that ended up doing was, uh, again, maybe a, I'm speculating here, a lot of those landlords, you know, they wanted to rent out their units, so the rents were brought down. So those that were in the primary market that were on the margins who could afford, you know, between, you know, moving from purpose to a higher paying secondary rental unit, they had that opportunity to jump on board to the condo side away from the primary market. And that explains to somewhat why the vacancy rate in the condo market actually came down uh, in 2021 uh, versus in the primary market where it shot up. So there was that movement out. Um, as a result of this increase in supply where rents were offered at a lower point and it was attractive. Yeah, it makes sense. And I want to turn to the condo market shortly, but I guess one final question. I mean, we did some work in conjunction with our market year in review and outlook report that we released at the beginning of February. And we did a, a joint study with the, the Toronto Region Board of Trade. And it was really looking at that sort of shift in work, but also looking, you know, sort of post-pandemic and thinking about, well, you know, what's work going to look like, especially, you know, that sort of trip from work back into, say, the downtown, um, you know, office area, which obviously, you know, catered towards, you know, rental accommodations directly in the downtown core and other nodes throughout the GTA. So, you know, I don't know if through the course of, of, of undertaking the, the most latest, uh, most recent rental market report, if you sort of looked at that from a from a rental market perspective, where you maybe had people um, giving notice on, on, say, an apartment downtown, but still choosing to rent, but in a, a, a location further afield. Well, it- you know, if you just look at purely based on numbers and vacancy rates, the vacancy rates in areas outside of the core were lower. So we had the highest vacancy rate in the city center. So east, west, center and south, you know, like the downtown Toronto core, where it was close to like 7%. Right. Everywhere else, like Etobicoke, Mississauga, anything outside of that core was around the 3% mark, right? So that would suggest, that being said, traditionally, areas always outside of the downtown core has always had lower vacancy rates. So uh, while, while the pandemic did was kind of amplified those effects, right? So there was a movement um, and we don't have the exact numbers to show, but certainly there was movement out of Toronto into neighboring centers or the CMA. Right. So we saw vacancy rates in, in a lot of the surrounding areas being very low. I mean, Peterborough had the lowest vacancy rate in Ontario at 1%, right? And even places like Hamilton, Kitchener, Waterloo, those they had very low vacancy rates. Uh, in fact, vacancy rates came down in every other center across Ontario other than Toronto or this Toronto CMA. That would speak to that movement out, uh, but we don't have like exact numbers, but certainly it suggests that movement. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, you know, it seems like we've been in the pandemic forever, but really we're talking about a relatively short period of time, a couple of years. And so it's going to be really interesting to see sort of what the long-term trends are, you know, with some of this and, and to see whether we we normalize back to, you know, what we're seeing pre-pandemic or if we really have seen sort of a structural shift in terms of, uh, in terms of you know, where the rental market conditions are, are the tightest. And I think a lot of that will have to do with, you know, what back to work looks like uh, in, in, in that post-pandemic. Pandemic, uh, period of time. And, and maybe that's a nice segue into the, the next question I had is sort of thinking about um, not about perhaps the average renter, but, you know, people who are making those above average earnings and maybe they were working in, in the in, in, in the downtown core. And so, you know, thinking about that higher end side of the market, I mean, what do you, what did you see number one in, in, in your report, both in terms of higher end, you know, higher average rent purpose built, uh, units, but also thinking about the condo market, which traditionally has catered more to that uh, that segment of the market as well. And I guess, you know, what have you seen and, and, and maybe what do you expect to see as you kind of move towards your, your next survey over the next uh, few months? Yeah, I mean, the, the higher end of the market, similar to the higher end of the housing market, you know, those households are the least affected by anything that happens, right? So sure. just based, we did this analysis based on quintile, income quintiles, and the number of occupied units based on the quintiles. And the the households that were in the fourth and the fifth quintile, so making above $80,000 per year, um, those units were occupied. There was strong demand for rental. Um, it was the lower quintiles that had the most, um, the dire effects and had people moving out of accommodation altogether. So that suggests that, you know, the higher end of the market seems to be less um, susceptible to any economic impacts. And that's just, uh, I guess it's with any, not just rental with any market, right? Uh, the higher you earn, less um, susceptible you are to shocks or any economic impacts. They can weather whatever that come their way, so to speak. Um, and that's kept the market strong. So the uh, the caveat to that, and I'm just kind of maybe digressing a little bit, like a lot of the newer product that comes onto the market, the newly built units, right. the rents are like, I would say um, on par or above the units that are charged in the typical primary rental market uh, with a stock that's about 40 years old. So, um, you know, that those units anecdotally, we know they have harder time renting out as well initially, just the take up takes longer. Uh, but in terms of, you know, the demand for the, what we saw based on our analysis, the demand was strong at the higher end. Yeah, I think it makes sense because if you're, if you're building a new purpose-built uh, um, development, rent, and, you know, focus specifically on, 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 on rental, uh, I mean, your your market study is going to be more based on what you're seeing in that secondary rental market. So investor held condominium apartments and, and uh, you know, what the trend is for, um, for 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 those rents. And I mean, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting discussion, because if you think about our membership at Trev, we have a lot of members who who are certainly involved at the at the pre-construction stage of development, helping their helping their clients uh, purchase units and, 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 and some of those units ultimately become long-term investors. And so they purchase, you know, one or more units that they, they have every intention of, of, of renting them out um, upon, you know, completion of that, uh, of that project. And in fact, 
know, if, if you think about on net where most of the supply that's been added to the, the rental market in the GTA over the last decade, the lion's share has certainly come from those investor held um, secondary units. So, you know, I, I think it's important to discuss. I mean, we report tens of thousands of condo rental transactions through our MLS system um, on, a, on an annual basis. And so, you know, thinking about that market in particular and, and you know, maybe um, less so, you know, what we saw over the past year, but, you know, where you expect it to go, especially vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, immigration. And I know in the past, if you think about, you know, newcomers to Canada, a lot of them are certainly focused on purchasing a home eventually. Like that, that's, a, that's a pretty uh, a standard goal um, for, for, for new households. But at the same time, they initially need a place to live. And a lot of times they're pointed at the rental market. And so thinking about population growth driven by immigration and just the fact that a lot of our rental supply is coming from that, that condo segment. I mean, what do you see for you know, investor-held units moving forward? Well, it's a... I think a lot will depend on just the market, the housing market, because ultimately the investor health component are individuals that are buying and a lot is contingent upon interest rates and, and, you sure. know, the stuff like, you know, how that's going to impact their purchasing power. Right. Um, the, for 2021, the investor share actually went up to about 35%. It used to be around 34. So it just jumped up slightly. Um, what was interesting, however, is typically newly, often newly completed units every year, about 50% are rented out. And in 2021, that actually came down, I believe, to about 45%. So there was a, a marked drop in the flow of units that are being rented out. So it's there are so many things that that it, that implies. I mean, I, that, what it means, I I think, is that perhaps because the market is so strong in terms of the ownership, more people just want to sell it rather than even just holding on to it in the long term. So I think that's going to be the challenge in terms of how well will the ownership market perform because the investors, you know, it's kind of, you're, you're just hedging yourself. Like, should I sell now and make a profit or should I hold on to it? You know, if price growth isn't that strong in the market, shall I just rent it out for the long haul and see how things work out in five years? So I think a lot of that will depend on the housing market and ultimately, you know, on interest rates and demand for that. And that will kind of dictate how, how investors will perform. So if things slow down, I per personally think if the market slows down, you're likely to see more investors heading towards long-term rentals versus perhaps flipping them when, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, there's, there's, there's two sides to the coin. Certainly if the, if the market slows down and we saw a bit more balancing in the condo ownership market, um, you know, you may see people thinking, well, you know, I, I am going to hang on to this unit. I am going to rent it out. We've seen the rental market, you know, tighten. And, uh, and so I'm realizing perhaps uh, uh, higher rents than I would have a year ago as we were still working our way through the, uh, through the pandemic. I guess the flip side, and this is always important when we're thinking about sort of the, the policy side of the rental market is that because we haven't seen a lot of, you know, new purpose-built construction and we've relied more and more on, on individual investors that there is some, um, I don't know, flexibility is the right word, but I mean, you can see, you could, you can, you can imagine a scenario where you see a real sort of uh, uh, change in the supply from one year to the next, depending on on rental market conditions. Because again, if you're if you're talking about uh, people realizing pretty strong gains on the value of their unit on paper and they want to list it for sale. Um, that's also can has the potential of taking that supply, you know, out of the market um, as we move forward as well, which would lead to, you know, 
tighter market conditions. And I guess that kind of gets to my next question where, um, what do you foresee for, for purpose-built rental? I mean, we've been talking for years and, you know, even way back when, when you and I were working together at CMHC about, you know, rising rents and, and we're seeing a lot of traction within that secondary rental market. And you'd think that that would, you know, promote um, you know, the construction and development of, 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 of purpose-built rental on a much larger scale, perhaps from, you know, institutional investors and what have you, but we haven't really seen it. And I guess, you know, some of those intentions may have been put on hold by, by the pandemic, but, but what do you see from that sort of larger scale or the potential for that larger scale type of development on the primary rental market side? Well, certainly the numbers are trending higher um, in the last, uh, I would say, 10 years. There's been more supply in terms of new completions, housing start, um, rental starts, et cetera. The problem I have is that it's just no, it, the number of units are, rental units are no match for the number of condo units. So for every one rental purpose-built rental unit being built, five condos are being built or completed, right? So it's certainly encouraging it's going up, but perhaps not at the same pace as you would see condo projects from taking off. And um it's a, it's a tough one, you know, like you talk to developers and, and, and perhaps the market has been so strong in terms of ownership, maybe the condos are, are more uh, viable for them versus a, a rental project, but it's encouraging. Uh, anecdotally, at least, I believe from just talking to the industry, there's about 20,000 units in the pipeline for purpose built. Again, I don't know the timeline of those, but that's just what's been planned. But you know, 20,000 is great, but on every year we complete, like <laughs> we start about 35,000 condos. So <laughs> this is the, what's in the pipeline for rentals. So I, yeah, I, it's not enough. Yeah. And I think, I think broadly speaking too, it also gets to the, 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 the policy side. And, and I mean, that can relate to the ownership market or the rental market and, and, you know, the, the primary or, or secondary markets they're in, in the sense that, you know, it still takes a long time to get any type of housing project off the ground right now in the, in the GTA. And I'd argue in a lot of other major centers um, across the, across the country. And I, I think that's, you know, important to point out as well as we move into you know both provincial and, and, and municipal elections that anything that can be done to, to streamline the process to bring more supply online whether we're talking about rental um, or ownership would go a long way to to help us you know not only get get through the backlog or or or, or deficit in supply that we've experienced in the gta over the last number of years but also accounting for the acceleration and population growth we should expect to see moving forward as we're making up for the lull that you mentioned during the pandemic and just the fact that you know we're, we're expecting to see record and near record levels of uh of immigration over the next uh, over the next few years and i guess you know, maybe final question for our discussion today is, is, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, what we saw in, 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 in 2021 and moving into 2022, but, you know, I guess, what do you see number one for, for the rental market, both primary and secondary moving forward um, in, in terms of sort of longer term trends in the, in, in the GTA? Well, I, I think if, if, you know, I got to preface all of this by saying the pandemic has to end and we're not going to have any lingering long-term economic impacts as a result of what's happening in Ukraine and any of those changes that may impact inflation, et cetera, right? right. So if, if those things are somewhat under control, we should resume going back to the, the, the vacancy rates that we were accustomed to pre-pandemic, which is around 2%. 
you know, that was the case for the last 10 years. Um, we know for a fact that the, the federal government has said that immigration targets are going to be raised uh, for the next several years, 450,000, right. I believe. Uh, that's the highest it's ever been. And of course, as you know, Toronto will receive the bulk of those immigrants. They need a place to live. So there's going to be strong demand for both housing, uh, be it rental or ownership. So that's going to help uh, rental demands and keep vacancy rates low. But, you know, there's so many, this has been the hardest time to do this job in the last 10 years because there's so many things thrown at us and you're just kind of like, well, I can't predict when the next closure or when a health outbreak will come about, right? Like, so there's so many of those that need to be taken into account, but let's assume everything is good and we're moving forward. We should see start to see vacancy rates come back to the level that we saw pre-pandemic. And I have to assume too that, uh, you know, in terms of bringing on rental supply, and that's whether we're talking about purpose built, but also, um, you know, investor held units that could be brought to bear on the market as well, that, you know, all this transit uh, uh, investment that we're seeing, not only in the, in, in, in the city of Toronto proper with the Eglinton line and what have you, but also looking at, you know, stationary developments associated with, with larger heavy rail go transit throughout the, the broader region, the, the, the greater Golden Horseshoe that, you know, that should you know, bode well for additional rental supply and these sort of transit oriented developments uh, um, that, that we should be seeing um, over time, both in terms of, I guess, the, the, the high rise side of things, but also, you know, I would argue probably rental opportunities more in that sort of missing middle uh, segment, because you also look at, you know, the townhome side of the market and that as well. And I think, you know, we often think of rental in terms of, you know, high rise or mid rise type apartments, but there's also a lot of uh, a supply and demand for sort of larger townhome units too, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the, again, uh, this is a chicken or the egg situation, right? Do you build, will they come or is it the other way around? I mean, one thing we have to be maybe perhaps cognizant of is this whole working from home thing, right? Like sure. what if this becomes the new normal and nobody wants to move into the cities, right? And and yet you build all these transits and, and these hubs and but maybe people want to live outside and, and in the countryside and just work from home. And it's hard to predict. I think we're just in such a flux right now, uh, but maybe we can have this discussion in two years. We'll have a better idea of just <laughs> where things are headed. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think whenever we have these conversations, uh, you know, especially during the pandemic, it's more sort of, you know, thinking about the the research that's yet to be done and, and analysis that, that's yet to be done as we as we move into, you know, whatever our our new normal is going to look like. But I, I want to thank you very much, Donna, for for taking time to, to share your thoughts with us uh, today. I mean, I know a lot of our members and, and their clients have a have a keen interest in in, in the rental market. Um, both from a from a place to live perspective, but also you know from a from an investment perspective as we move forward. So again, you know, thank you very much for for taking the time, and it's always great to hear from the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Treb's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to all of you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B.ca to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thanks for tuning in.